I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. But I think something that people don't know about me is that I am very into astrology. You're on the right podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Love. <laughs> I'm diking out, you're diking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about. Diking out, diking out, diking out, diking out. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that is manifesting all the best things for our community. I'm Carolyn Bergier. I'm Melody Kamali. And today we're diking out with activist, author and speaker, Precious Brady Davis, about living authentically. Uh, I am so excited for everybody to listen to this interview and to get to know Precious. If you don't already, this, I mean, you'll hear us gush during the interview. Choke up. <laughs> I mean, a little, little yeah. bit of tears on both our ends. I caught. <laughs> 
for sure. So thank you for tuning in for this one. And if you want to hear a little bit more about that and other things, you can listen to our off-topic episodes. Those are the additional episodes that we put out every week. Oh my gosh, so much content we've been putting out. If you go over to patreon.com slash out, you can get extra episodes where we talk about things going on in our personal lives. We talk about things going on in the queer community. We talk about behind the scenes of the pod and of the interviews. And we talk about what we're watching on TV and about Melody's mom jeans. (laughs) So if you're not on there, why not? It also helps us keep the pod going. It's a party. Let's just get into it. Carolyn, what is the gayest thing you did this week? Wow, Melody, I wasn't expecting you to ask me that. So weird. The gayest thing, per usual, there were a few. I have to say, possibly celebrating my four-year wedding anniversary, but it wasn't particularly gay, uh, except that I guess I was using power tools the day of my anniversary. Is that... I don't know. I guess you married a woman. How is this not gay? (laughs) It is really gay. I guess I made the marriage last uh, another year, which is a big deal for me. Yeah. You know, as somebody on their second marriage, I you doubled it. Think, no. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, doubled it. Your last marriage runtime. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. My, my, my last marriage was five years. Oh, fuck me. Why? I'm just like, <laughs> that's, that's okay. the amount of time you talked about it on the pod, right? You no, it. no. It's yeah. It's my, uh, this is my second longest marriage, but it's Cecilia's longest marriage. So it's, <laughs> it's a big deal. I'm sure I've said this before, but to me, anniversaries are a much bigger deal and feel like much more of a milestone than birthdays. Birthdays can come and go for me without much fanfare, but an anniversary, I'm like, we did this. Yeah. (laughs) Because to, you know, to stay alive for a year, yes, it can be challenging, uh, especially if you live in New York, but... To not kill your partner and both stay alive. Right. (laughs) To... All the conversations and the communication and the the tears that go into making a relationship span one more year. It's like victory. Let's celebrate. Let's yeah. go out. Let's really uh, give it up for us, especially with all the stress that we've had this year. Definitely one for the books between, you know, fertility stuff not going the way that we had hoped for multiple trips to the ER, multiple surgeries on Cecilia's part, one trip to the ER on my part, uh, getting a house and renovating it and all the challenges that went into that and all the stress. So we did it. And we're so happy with where we are right now and feeling so thankful for each other. And it really was a nice anniversary, even though I was fixing things around the house to get it ready for her sister who flew in from Peru and is visiting. And that was very exciting. But we did go out and have a nice meal at a restaurant on the on the Hudson River. And Ugh, love that. Uh, the gayest thing, though... I'm going to say that I did was about a month or so ago, I bought the book Howard Stern Comes Again. And it's a collection. It came out a couple of years ago. It's a collection of uh, some of his favorite interviews 
with his commentary on them. So you're reading transcripts of parts of the interview. And I haven't gotten around to reading it yet. And for whatever reason, Cecilia left it open on my desk to the Ellen DeGeneres interview. And after I was done doing all the things I needed to, to do for the day, I went into my office. I see it open. I'm like, you know what? I am going to pick this up and read this. And I read the Ellen interview. And then next I read Rosie O'Donnell. And that just felt really gay that I'm like, I'm going to read this book going through the gay ones first. Right. That's how I would <laughs> And then you. I'll make my way to the straight cis men, but I'm going to start with the, with the queer women, <laughs> then go to the other women. And then eventually I'll get to the, the men or maybe the gay men. Anderson Cooper's in there. Oh. Uh, they were great reads. It made me kind of feel bad for joking <laughs> about Ellen so much. I know I shouldn't feel bad and I know I've been very measured about it, but she really had a hard fucking life. She did. I, it was a lot. Yeah. And to be reminded of it and be like, ah, yeah, it doesn't excuse certain things, but I can't lose sight of what Ellen really did for multiple communities that I'm part of. You know? Yeah. The queer community. The comedy community. Being a woman in comedy, doing interviews, you know? Okay. That's like, it's huge. So Ellen has been pivotal. And then also the the Rosie interview and reading about Howard Stern's relationship with Rosie. It just made me fall in love with Rosie uh, all over again, which isn't hard for me to do. Just the more that I read about Rosie or anytime I get like a new piece of information, it just adds to my love of her. Speaking of, if you're not following Rosie on TikTok, <laughs> you gotta. It's Melody. Did you see the one where the person <laughs> called yeah, I was her? Hoping you were gonna bring this up. Oh my god. <laughs> well, she posted it's it so on funny. her Instagram too because yes, this one was that. That's where I, I had saw to it. migrate. Yeah, describe it. Okay, so Please. as I've loved to do on this here podcast, an impression of how. Rosie O'Donnell ends every single one of her TikToks, and that's with looking right in the camera and saying, TikTok, you don't stop. And <laughs> what happened in this particular video? She was driving and like she had some altercation with some guy, a little road rage, if I remember correctly. I'm trying to remember the circumstances because yeah. you know which part stuck out to me the most. Or some well, for, first she talks, uh, she explains away the two sun blisters she has on her lips and wants to clear up that they're not, they're not cold, cold sores. And she's never so she's had letting one. us know. And then there's this like dramatic soap opera music playing over the whole storytelling, <laughs> which she's been adding to a lot of her TikToks lately, which just add to the the drama of this. So yeah, she loves some theater. guy approaches her car and yells at her and was like, you old dumb bitch or something like that. Like, yell something at her. And all she could come up with in the moment was, TikTok, you don't stop. <laughs> that was her comeback to him. And that's what she said. And then she just 
regaled us with that. And I don't know why yeah. when I saw it, I cried laughing and then I saw you shared it. So I'm so glad you saw it too. I shared it and then I showed it to Cecilia and Cecilia kept saying, can we watch it again? <laughs> she watched it four or five times. So yeah, the that, thing Cecilia did. It all, it all comes back around anniversary, Rosie, and then me and Cecilia having a Rosie moment next to my Rosie pillow. Uh, yes. Can you top that melody? The What's the loop, thing? we call that. Yes. Um, <laughs> so this week, you know, I'm actually going to be celebrating my anniversary with Allie. Yes. On the 21st, we'll be celebrating five years together officially, July 21st. So some gay planning went into celebrating that gay anniversary. I think we can consider that in the running for gayest thing. Yes. I started shopping at Rainbow Shops. That feels gay because it's called Rainbow. I don't know if anyone listening is not familiar. I mean, maybe it's a regional store, right? Is it just... Did you go to high school in the U.S.? Then you know Rainbow. Okay, are they everywhere? In Where I grew up in like the Hartford area, we, we had Dots, which was like a similar kind of like... Well, I, growing I up in middle school, Rainbow we called it the Buffalo. Hoochie store. But um, yeah, <laughs> Rainbow was totally the Hoochie okay, store. Yeah. Yeah. I love me a Hoochie store. And I think I had like, I mean, I know fast fashion wrong. I was in a pinch and I had to go to a Rainbow. I'm so sorry. My style is taking a pivot into Hoochie territory. It is summer. I'm having fun. I've never dressed so femme in my life. But I love it. And, you know, when a queer person goes to a rainbow store, that is a double rainbow and it's a beautiful thing. So <laughs> I felt like I should make note of that. Can I say what I really wanted my gay, gayest thing to be? But I'm afraid I'm going to be canceled. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so we'll see. My butthole is clenched. Okay. Let's go. So I was at Reese Beach. Okay. Friday night, we did a little evening night beach moment because it's just been raining every weekend and we haven't been able to every go. Day, every day, It just feels like it's raining every day and we're like, oh, there's going to be a window of sun for an afternoon. Let's let's go. Yeah. And so we like got there at three and we're there until like 9 p.m. But we had other friends who wanted to come. So it's Lindsay Bowling, as we know, past guest, lesbian. Okay. She's supposed to come with another queer girl. And she goes, hey, is it okay if Zach and Bobby come? Our two very cis, very straight, white male friends. Um, <laughs> and she's like, I figured it's okay since it's like so late in the day. And we're like, that's that's fine. I mean, I oh yeah, my gayest thing. I was topless for the first time. And I was like, well, I'm just going to put this, pop this back on. And we got a little more covered and they showed up and... Let me say, there was a group of older gay men who were just like blaring reggaeton all day, dancing, having a whole party, ignoring us, Allie and I, next to them. We were pretty close to them. Didn't give us the time of day at all. Then our two guy friends show up and they are all over them, aggressively hitting on them. Yeah, the second the guys showed up, they Mm -mm. would not leave us alone. They showed up and like, you girls want drinks? And they're mixing us drinks and they were they pulled up Alley and start making Alley dance with them. Um, So one of them in particular, this guy, Mario, is his name. He introduces himself. He's a drag queen in Queens. He's already invited us to his birthday celebration, genuinely considered and going to it. Julio's in Queens. Okay. So he's like, Bobby, I love you, Bobby. That's our friend, Bobby. He's obsessed with, he's like rubbing his head. He's like 
giving him titty twisters, okay? And now we're starting to be like, <laughs> hmm, is Bobby being sexually harassed and assaulted right now? Like, do we step yeah. in? Like, what's happening? Because Bobby's laughing, and then we're all, like, the girls, we're all just sort of watching this, like, no, this is, this is an appropriate, but also he needs to learn like we very much kind of watched Bobby because Bobby was laughing and we like were whispering like Bobby you're okay do you want us to step and he's like no it's fine Mario you're crazy but he's so uncomfortable and you're seeing the behavior in Bobby that we all know that we all as know women too well. that we laugh when yeah men harass right. us at times right um, in our lives where we feel like there are other people watching. Mm-hmm. It's kind of humiliating and it's easier just to play along exactly. than to make a scene. Exactly. And he probably doesn't want to seem homophobic or anything exactly. by being like, get the fuck off me, stop touching me. Mm-hmm. So he's like, hey, no, I, I gotta be cool. Yep. All right. He literally, wow. Mario hands him a Smirnoff ice. He goes, I got you a beer, Bobby. And Bobby's like this rugged Chicago a Smirnoff Ice is not a beer in Bobby's eyes. Um, it was just so funny. He's like, thanks, Mario. And he puts it down in the sand. And Mario picks up and goes, why are you putting this in the sand for? Getting sand all over my beer. And then rubs it on Bobby's shirt and moves down. And then we're getting into, like, dick territory. And then we're like, all right. Okay, okay Bobby, let's go in the water, Bobby. Let's go. Come on, let's all go in the water. It's night. <laughs> we're like, yeah, we're, we're right. totally planning on going in the water in, in the dark. And we're in the water. And Bobby's like, we're like, are you okay? And he's He's like, you know what? That was weird. He was like a little high, a little drunk, you know, just like processing. And he was like, I really know what it feels like for women now, though. So he was like, like, that was no, it was fine. But I really that was eye opening. We're like, yeah. And then I was like, that's why I didn't stop it. And then we like laughed about it. And then I was like, shit, I was kind of joking, but also like I didn't stop it. I was just watching it. And yeah, I, I mean, we were all buzzed. I recognized once it got too far and pulled him away. But like, it was very interesting to watch. But he just kept talking about, and he said everything you said once we got in the water. He's like, I didn't want to seem homophobic. I also like, it was fun at first and I was laughing along, but then it went too far. And then, yeah, thanks for pulling us. And and it was just like, so classic. Experience of being a woman. Yeah. At first, it's fun and you're playing along and then next thing you start to get uncomfortable and you're trapped in in this moment. And yeah, I mean, I'll say this. I recognize that it was a touchy, potentially triggering to some listeners situation. I did talk with Bobby afterwards. He's okay. He was even saying like, part of me was like, I still got it. Like he's still ultimately a a guy (laughs) who was just like, (laughs) You know, I was feeling kind of bad about myself, and then that kind of helped. So <laughs> watching that all go down felt, was it queer? Was it the queerest thing of the week? Because it was so, I was I mean, on the, the other the, side. I don't know. The whole experience sounds queer. I also want to mention and call out how easy breezy we're about mentioning going topless for the first time. I know. That seems like. That was supposed to be my gayest gay, thing. Your gayest thing and this is just letting your me. boops out at Reese Beach. Um, but this whole experience of the dynamics and watching this play out and gender roles and everything like that, that's all pretty gay. And I think it serves as a reminder that it doesn't matter your gender, your sexuality, that this 
behavior mm-hmm. um, of like aggressively crossing people's personal boundaries can be committed by Anyone. anybody. Anybody and yeah, just being being aware of that. That's always yeah, yeah. It was yeah, eye opening. Like I said, definitely taken some lessons from that. And I'm not saying that I wish that on anyone. I don't want anybody, regardless of your. Well, I take it back. If you're a horrible person, like when uh, when Sir Baby Girl called out Louis C.K. and just went off on him, yeah. I hope Louis C.K. felt really fucking uncomfortable in that situation yeah. because God knows how many people uh, he made feel uncomfortable. And as Sir Baby Girl said on stage, you can't always get justice for your own sexual predator in your life, but if you can <laughs> seek justice on behalf of someone else, do it. Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> Oh, so, man. but, but in general, like, yeah, I, I don't want people to have to feel that kind of discomfort with the caveat being for some cis men, that could be what it takes for them to realize their own behavior. So what do you say we get into our let's, interview yeah, now? Let's get into it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's time. It's time. Today, we're diking out with author Precious Brady Davis about living authentically, Precious is an award-winning diversity advocate, communication professional, and public speaker. She was the first trans bride on Say Yes to the Dress on TLC and just came out with her amazing memoir, which we're going to talk so much about, I Have Always Been Me. Let's get into it. Precious, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so happy to have you. Especially me, a fellow Chicago, Columbia, Chicago college alum. So great to have you. I never meet anyone else. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Columbia alum. I love it. Alumni. Yeah. Columbia, such a special place. I I love you already. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) If you went to Columbia, I know you have a great knack for the arts. I know you have a great... Uh, sense of, of grit and, and passion. So I'm ready for this conversation. Yeah, heavy on the grit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the scrappiness. <laughs> I didn't go to Columbia, but I do have a trans cousin who went to Columbia. So does that count All for right. something? Right? Yeah. That brings you into the fold, Carolyn. Yeah. Great, great. I, I do have pride for Columbia for that reason. Yes. So. <laughs> I love it so much. Well, we're well, going to get into that chapter of your life, a lot of chapters of your life. Uh, before we chapters dive, of your book. Yeah. The actual <laughs> book of your life. Before we get into that, we do have to ask you what is the gayest thing you did this week? The gayest thing I did this week? Well, I think getting ready for this interview. You know, I, I took time for me and made space for vanity and, you know, put a face of makeup on and wore these fabulous jewels. And that feels pretty, pretty queer to me. Pretty pretty gay. These bobbles, I saw them (laughs) and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to have those. I'm, I'm a jewelry collector and I shop like everywhere for jewelry and I found these at, um, I know the audience won't be able to see them, but, um, <laughs> but I we'll found screenshot these, it. <laughs> please, please. But I found these gorgeous bobbles at Ross, just like looking for cool Amazing. stuff. Right? 
Uh, I was just at a Ross for the first time in my life. I don't know why it took so long. My girlfriend took me there because I'm a Maxinista famously. And she told me they were similar. And yeah, I think I have a whole new world to explore there. And you've only just served more inspiration. Ross has great finds. I love like they have great designer stuff, but on a budget. Hell yeah. Okay, great. I have so much respect for anyone who can... uh, like I get, I get too overwhelmed at like Ross at Marshall's at TJ Maxx. I don't know where to start. And I walk in and I walk out <laughs> and then everybody I know has like the coolest stuff from there and they get the greatest deals. And I'm just a mess. I don't know why. <laughs> I love the adventure. I mean, if you, if you yes. aren't, the, if you aren't the kind of person who likes to search, I think it's kind of the same with thrift, with thrifting, you know, right, you have to right. like yeah. search like through things, but I, I love the hunt of finding something special and unique, you know, that only I am going to have. And that's what I love right. about yes. going to Ross. Oh my God. You know what's weird? I feel like I need to be on vacation to do it. Like if I'm on vacation and I walk into a Marshall's, great. But if it's just like, <laughs> oh, I need to get this outfit for this occasion, I can't do it. I can't handle it. <laughs> no. Okay. I'm going to like give you like a secret that I've never told anyone. Please. So <laughs> that is how I get my vacation wardrobe. Every time I go on vacation, uh, this is like uh, every time I go on vacation, I will literally go to Ross and buy like a full vacation wardrobe. And it's like the best thing. (laughs) Yes. That's the place to do it. Yes. Plus, they always have like cute things to take on vacation. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's perfect. This episode is sponsored by Ross. Uh, (laughs) We wish. Uh, Someday. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's just dive into this because there's so much to talk about. Your memoir, I Have Always Been Me. We have it right here. So beautiful. We love it. What a beautiful, stunning cover to start with. Yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, wow. Half tissues on hand. When you read this, listeners, it is just so moving. Like, chills. Tears. It is a book that, like, every, I'm not even going to say every queer person should read, just like anyone, any human who wants a beautiful story of like human triumph. <laughs> like, this is it, right? This is it. How did this book come about? Thank you so much. So much there that I just like want to, <laughs> I, I just want to unpack. Let, let me take just like a step back and let's like, let's go back to, to the cover. Um, yes. and, and, and then we can, we can talk about like the inception of, of the book, but this cover is an homage to trans fabulosity. This cover is an homage to the black divas who have inspired me, Diana Ross, Diane Carroll. The, this cover is about celebrating the, the person that I have always been. This book is about fashioning a shinier mold for yourself than what has been provided to you. And I really wanted that to be reflected on the cover. And so my whole life, I knew that I had a very unique story coming from Omaha, Nebraska, you know, being, being adopted growing up in a Pentecostal community, surviving different bouts of trauma and 
in the Pentecostal community, they call that a testimony. And so I always knew that I had some kind of testimony and the ways in which I told my story throughout my life, it has been through, it's been through art, you know, various periods of performance art. And I talk about doing drag in the book uh, mm-hmm. and I did uh, performance art for a little bit of my life, but I came to a point where I was focusing on self, on self identity and, and had the space to really reflect on, on my mental health. And I wrote this book to find healing. And, and I will, and when I say healing, I don't say, I don't say it in the sense of just rhetorically speaking, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really talking about like freeing myself from some, some demons that I felt were, were haunting me things that kept replaying themselves in, in my head as anniversaries kept coming back. And so I went back to the past and I tried to sort through memories and to, to find some absolute truth. And I think I found out a couple of lessons as I, I started. People can't give you what they don't have. I have no mm. regret about anything that I've done in my life. I think that transition is inevitable. And th- this book is a testament of all of the things that I have uh, travailed in this life. And so I had actually been, I, I had thought about, you know, writing a book and then randomly a, a literary agent reached out to me and she said, have you ever thought of writing a book? You have such a, a, a fascinating story. And, and that's how the, the process started. Uh, two years ago. Love it. And did it work? Do you feel healed? I mean, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in this book, I write absolutely vulnerable to my core. Right. In the beginning of the book, you know, in referencing my childhood, I talk about that. There were so many sorted memories and I felt that as an adult, I got to go back and talk to many of those folks and say, what, what actually happened? And I think I got to give grace to the little child who was demonized in in many places as a kid. And I think I got to really wrap my arms around that young gender nonconforming child. Back then there wasn't a name, you know, for, for, for for what I was. And so really giving that child honor. And I think that there are a myriad of folks who are reading my story and that I have heard from, you know, from folks all the way on the Republican side, you know, of, of things who said, thank you for writing this book. I have, you know, a gender nonconforming child and I've been struggling to understand them. But in your story, I see that love is at the heart and that's the most important thing. And so I'm like, yes, mission accomplished. And there are so many universal themes in this book, love and acceptance being one of them, I feel like that we all want to be loved at the end of the day. Yes. I yes. genuine. I feel like the book should come with like a soundtrack. <laughs> I felt like <laughs> oh, yes. I was feeling things that needed music set to it as I was reading it. Like it was such a yeah mood throughout. I just I don't even know how to articulate it, but 
I'm glad that you mentioned, yeah, you had people from all walks of life relating to it. I really think the more specific you are with your story, the more universal it is. And that really came through in your book. Thank you. So I will say I just created, I haven't, I'm, I'm dropping all sorts of tea on the podcast today. <laughs> yes, um, getting the scoop. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> so I actually just created a soundtrack for uh, I Have Always Been Me oh my on, God. Spotify, on yes. Spotify. Yes, okay. I, I, I haven't, sh- I, you can search it, you can find it. I haven't shared that publicly, but all of the songs that are in the book, I created a Spotify list. All right. Um, Perfect. Perfect, yeah. That makes so much Love sense. Love it. And yeah, I wanted, I, music has been such an important theme in my life. I really right. wanted that to, to come through in the book. And I did, like, I wanted people, I wanted people to feel what little me seeing Tina Turner did, you know, and like the, the Scorpio-ness <laughs> of private dancer, you know, and I talk about the, the lyric, you know, of singing, you know, I'm a private dancer, a dancer yes. for money. I'll do what you want me to do. And my grandma being like, do you know what that means? <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I love <laughs> Like that. what I was like imitating as a kid, you know, that I was drawn to, to these strong divas and, and Whitney Houston, you know, yeah. I'm every woman, like yeah. the, the iconography of those women like shaped me so much. Yeah, even the spin years, like the I want to dance with somebody. I was just, yes. I felt like I was like dancing and reading, <laughs> truly. <laughs> that, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted people to really, to, to feel, you know, what I was going through and, and what music was there. So I'm so glad that came through. Absolutely. But yeah, you can go and listen to the playlist on Spotify. ASAP, Will, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Speaking of the music, it, you do such a great job of both like letting the you know telling your story which has a a lot of trauma and instability in it while also making sure that those moments of joy come through and one of the things I loved was that in in your story in your life no matter what circumstance that life put you in you seem to just make the most of it even from, you know, the small roles you first got, um, your like earliest acting opportunities, like you would have thought that you were up for an Oscar for it. <laughs> and then, it, you know, your your job of like being like, I can do a job on roller skates. Hell yeah. You yeah. know, <laughs> was it ever a struggle? To, I mean, I imagine it was a struggle to find, but it made you make it seem like it. You just naturally went there. But sometimes when you're in these dark moments in life, it can be so hard to find that joy. How do you do it? Yeah, I, I think that, for one, I do think that I am a natural optimist. And optimism is something that I have possessed my entire life. I do think that resilience is mm-hmm. one of my natural charms. It is just something that I have possessed. And I think growing up as a foster kid, I think that that's not always something that is an option. When you are a foster kid, the world is created for you in in minutes. And you are, you are, you are forced to adapt to that world. There, there is no choice. You know, I, I think that it's something that is always, 
you know, gone with me to, to be resilient. And like I said, to fashion a shinier mold for myself, to turn a picnic table into a stage, you know, to roll around on, on roller skates, like that finding, that creating like a moment of joy for me. I think that connected me, me back to my childhood of skating, you know, in the rink, it reminded me of, of good times. But yes, centering joy is something that I think has, has gotten me through in so many incidents in my life. I just have ref- always refused to let the trauma take me out. You know, even when I think about the breakdown of my biological family, even during that time, I said, I will not be made less of this. You know, I, I always have wielded my voice. And I do think that my, my voice has a great deal to do with that, of speaking up for, for myself, of, yes. of tending to my voice, of saying, like, I'm going to be heard. I do yes. think like my voice has always created a, a way for me. Even, and the, and the thing about it is, I really do think that speaking things into existence is a thing because even when I didn't believe I I necessarily always didn't have the confidence, you know, even if, (laughs) even if something, I didn't believe it to necessarily that it would happen in that moment, I would say, this is, this is going to happen. You know, I think about mimicking the, the woman to where I got my name B uh, who always called me precious jewel. And I would always kind of like mimic her. And I would say, I'm a woman of victory. Or I would say, I'm a woman or I'm a lady. Like I would always say that long before I knew that I was a woman. It was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I felt like there was these like self-fulfilling prophecies that were just like oozing <laughs> that I didn't know, like the, the fullness of the truth as I was saying them. And, and to me, I do think that that is, that is divine, you know, yeah. in the book, like I talk about spirituality right. and for me, I do, I feel like it's this gift that I have. I feel like, cause people always ask me, they say now, like, tell me about your religion. Are you a religious person now? And, and for me, I feel like my authenticity is my religion. And mm. I think tapping into the, the authenticity within myself. That's why the book is called I Have Always Been Me. Being myself has created that optimism that I think makes me sort of fearless and un- unflappable. Um, but inside, there is like a very vulnerable, you know, very vulnerable person. But the, the Scorpio in me says, oh, I, won't let you, <laughs> I won't let you see it. And I think that I think that has been with me my entire life. Yeah. If you can dream it, you can be it, as was famously told to you by Mama Ru. You have an, she said it. an actual <laughs> letter from RuPaul <laughs> in your book. I love so much for listeners who will know eventually, not too much of a spoiler, you did reach out to RuPaul looking for advice and you did get a reply saying I don't want to give any like too much advice to undermine your own personal journey I'm paraphrasing but yeah yeah no no I wish I would have listened to her more because (laughs) (laughs) until I revisited that and I was like oh my gosh she's so right like each of us 
has the power to, to manifest our own destiny. Here I was saying, like, tell me, tell me the way to like, to be successful. And in writing this book and in revisiting that, it did remind me that it is the ups and downs that have made my life and have taught me great lessons. And I think there was like a time in my life where I was like very ashamed of some of the mistakes that I made, you know, because so many times people say to me, they're like, your life is so unconventional. You have such an unconventional life. And that can be taken as like a good, positive. Like so many times when I go speak at colleges, they're like, she has such an unconventional journey. And (laughs) (laughs) that's what they say. But I think that in revisiting so many of those moments in the book, I think I felt proud, you know, of, you know, the, the person, you know, who, who withstood, you know, so many relentless attacks from being bullied to experiencing, you know, religious discrimination, like all of these things. Yeah. You'd mentioned there's that vulnerable part inside of you still. What was it like to tap into it in writing the book because I mean we all have trauma for me it's very hard for me to like tap into my trauma from my childhood um and I you know will hopefully get to a place with therapy eventually where I can but just like to write a book you really need to go there yes Uh, and I want to say that each of us are in individual places in our journey that's where I was in my journey like I was in a place of self-reflection. I was in a place of focusing on my healing because I felt like I was actually like suffering anxiety from a lot of the the trauma that I faced. And it it reared itself, you know, in, in several different ways. But I think I wanted to put it down of saying like, this isn't mine anymore. And I felt like I wished that there were several conversations that I that I create in the book for for folks to have and where possible I did reach out to folks to to make sure that their memory aligned with mine that was like really important right. for me to to write the truth to to write it candidly and to not write vindictively there's nothing in this book that is written vindictively. And there are several places where I really could have taken the pen and just gone in. Yeah. But I chose love. I chose, and I, and some of those conversations I felt they were very restorative for me at times difficult for myself and the party who I was having the conversation because, you know, there were some people that were like, why are you bringing this up? Why are you bringing this up? You always like to like rehash the past. And I'm like, no, this is about my healing. This situation, this, this hurt me. This is hurt that I still, still carry. And I think that we all have the right to address unresolved trauma. You know, because I grew up in a house where it was taught to me that trauma stays inside. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about the trauma in our lives. What goes mm-hmm. on stays here. And I think that that perpetuated intergenerational trauma. And I'm not interested in passing that down to the next generation. And I think that the trauma that we face, if it's unresolved, I think that it can percolate into other areas in our lives. I think that it can seep into our relationships 
with others. And that's not the vessel that I was interested in being. And it was, it was so hard. There were times that I wrote this when I was writing when I could not write. And I talk about that at the beginning of the book in my author's note of saying, at times I had to find the courage, you know, and I would mm-hmm. literally plunge myself because I, I wrote this book in the bathtub, by the way. Oh. Yes, <laughs> which my wife loves that. My wife is like very much a bath person and just always trying to be like, you should take a bath. Like no matter what's wrong with me, just <laughs> yeah. like get in the tub. Uh. <laughs> Same. I'm. Just, it's just as like a Zen zone for me, just because I can like right. close the door, you know, and I can have my music and my candles and, you know, a glass of wine. But for me, it was about the, the solitude, you know, of, and I'm, Thank goodness. And this is like a silver lining. You know, it was crazy. You know, I was finishing this book during the pandemic, you know, and so I didn't have anywhere to be. So that was also also crazy. But yeah, it was it was hard. I feel so much lighter having written it. I feel better about those relationships. I think there are places in this book that I force people to see some truth that they weren't even uh, willing to to address. And so, yeah, I'm. I feel absolutely healed. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. And especially as a mother now, I know that that was something that when my wife and I were talking about starting a family, it just seems so important to revisit your past and see what patterns were there and what patterns, like what influences were positive and what are the patterns that you want to break and make sure you're not, uh, like you're saying, passing this trauma onto your kid. So in terms of now being a mother, what were some of those things that you learned that you're like, as a mom, these are the most important things for me and characteristics to bring to my parenting style. Yeah. I, as a child, was very policed. In the, in the book, I talk about my gender being policed. You know, I talk about walking down the grocery store aisle and my grandma said to me, stop switching. Right. 
I didn't even know what that was. Yeah. <laughs> and, and for me, I just want to create like a space of, of affirmation and unconditional love. You know, in, in this book, you see a child who did not know unconditional love. And uh, thus you see so many adventures of looking for love in all the wrong places, you know, um, because I, I didn't get that as a child. And so I think number one, unconditional love is, is something that, you know, my child will always receive no matter who they are, who they become. I think that that was something that really sticks out to me. Another thing I just think is like the importance of family relationships and the importance of, of having a, a community. You know, we, we have family who, who is around, you know, Miles family is so awesome and are, are wonderful people. But we also have a strong queer community of folks. Her, her godparents are so wonderful. I felt like growing up, I felt like there, we did, there wasn't a community that, that surrounded us, that, that supported us. I watched, you know, my grandparents struggle through, through poverty, you know, to, to raise this family of, of five, you know, and they didn't really have, you know, the capacity to do that. And I think they did the best they could, but I feel like the importance of community was not installed in, in my life. Mm -hmm. Unconditional love and the fear of not being loved is what I think probably stops a lot of people from being their authentic self. When reading your, your book and hearing these stories, it sounds like almost like you didn't even have a choice. Like wherever you went, people knew that you were different. Like, as you said, there was the one thing about how especially men within, you know, 10 seconds of meeting you would just kind of hone in on you as somebody that they felt like needed a beating or, or like, there's something wrong, I'm going to pick on, on this kid. A lot of times you would think would make people hide or try to change, but you really didn't. I refused my, my, yeah. my, my voice from a, a very young child. Always I had, and I think, but I, but I don't think it's also just me. I think it's generational. I think it is very millennial. And it's something that I like about our generation of that we speak out. So the previous generation, you know, it was very silent and could hold things in mm. and, you know, and refuse to, to emote. But I remember my grandfather telling me at a very early age, children are to be seen and not heard. Mm. And I was probably seven when I said, no, that's not true. I was seven when I said no. Like, why should I like be quiet? <laughs> right. Like, no, it's something like my entire life that I felt like I had the right to be seen. Even in that space, I pushed back. You know, uh, you're you're referencing my biological mother's boyfriend. Yeah. In in, in that room as he's calling me like sissy boy, but I'm still like fighting back and uh, you know saying, you don't know me, you know, even when yeah. kids bullied me, you know, in, in middle school and called me queer and called me gay and say, are you gay? When we, you know, when I didn't even know, you know, my own self identity, I think there was this inner core that I've always had. And I also will say that I think it's one of the positive aspects of faith because mm -hmm. I grew up 
in the church. And I was, you know, a very dedicated, you know, person who attended every week. And so I did believe, you know, that, that God loved me. I did believe that I was in relationship with God. I was a person, you know, who, as they say in the church, cast all your cares on the Lord kind of thing. You know, there is this releasing, you know, of not, you know, that has always been something that I've carried with me in my life of releasing trauma, celebrating joy. Even then, you know, I loved the music. You know, I love like the clapping of hands, the community coming together for a, a common purpose. And I think even back then, I refused to, to be made less. And when, and when I couldn't, I think I really relied on my, my talents, my family talents. And I think that's another place that I found healing in this book, because in the book, I lay out so many things that I feel that my grandfather did wrong. But I think there was another place in this book where I saw how the talent of my, my grandfather has been passed down. You know, in those moments where I felt that I wasn't being seen or I wasn't being heard, I talk about in the book, you know, calling teachers by their first names. Yes. You know, yeah. <laughs> of, of like, I, I, I think I've always I've had this awareness of shifting power dynamics. That's something of like, let me tell you who I am, you know, of like inserting myself, you know, into situations, you know, and going back to like my grandfather of really taking him on and telling him like all the ways in which you are wrong, you know what I mean? And have all of this, you know, misogynistic like way of thinking, like I always fought back uh, against that. You seem like, I mean this in the best, like obsessed with justice. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I say absolutely. that about myself sometimes. And that's why I would just throw it that term. <laughs> um, yeah, but... no, listen. <laughs> so, okay. So I'm, so I think something that people don't know about me is that I am very into astrology. You're on the right podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <Love>. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to astrology. And so like I have books where I can go and look and see like what day like I was born, you know, like my ascendant sign, like all of that stuff. But the the day that I was born on November 19th is literally called the cusp of revolution. Oh. So it is like, like so in alignment, like with my my life purpose. And because that is that is where I am in every space that I am. I'm like, revolution. I'm yeah. like, justice. <laughs> yes. I'm like, that's not fair. You know? <laughs> so, yes. That is like something like my entire life. Yeah. Yeah. Even with, um, meeting miles, just kind of being like, I need to focus on my work right now. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about miles? I realized I Oh my brought gosh. Miles up without having a question, just kind of wanted to like bask no, in your that, love. Um, I love it. No. And, and <laughs> right. that's, and and that's how he, he he kind of comes up in in the book, you know. Um, and I'm just gonna just like say something right here because you know, of course, I've like seen the reviews and folks are like, Miles doesn't come up until like halfway, you know, mostly like through the book. I'm like, that's on purpose because like I didn't meet Miles yeah. until like right. very late in my life. <laughs> you know <what> I mean, <laughs> so I had like a whole life, you know, right. ahead, you know, uh, of meeting Miles. But he is 
the the great joy of my life. And he is an, another example of in life, like we think that we know how things are going to work out. And here like was my husband literally standing in my face. And I was like, oh, I'll never see him again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, and just talk about never knowing, you know, what life will serve you, you know, but shows you, you know, when you are in the, in the right place and at, at the right time. And he is just so divine and has shown me so many lessons um, that I, that I needed to, that I needed to learn, but it's just like a beautiful human being. And we grew up, we, we could not be more opposite from each other, but a lot. Right. Uh, um, and yeah, he's my soulmate and is the best thing that has ever happened to me in this life. I remember seeing pictures of you on Instagram, like before <laughs> I realized when I like sat down with the book, um, I was like, oh, I remember seeing these all over social media. Like, I remember your dress. I remember uh, like you're wearing this like colorful, like primary colors, like the squares, like a Tribune spread yes. or something like that. I was like, oh, oh, I get to talk to her. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Such a beautiful story. And obviously the world recognized that. It means so much. Yeah. It's like so special when people recognize trans love. And I think we need to see more of that in the world, because I think that I think it would have shaped my perspective on meeting Miles in, in the first place, you know, because in that in that situation, in the story I tell in the book. I said, there, I said, tr two trans people loving each other. Where does that happen? Right. <laughs> you know, that was not something, you know, that I had even thought was a thing. Yeah, we need right. to see it. That's why we need this option as a, I don't know, movie, TV show. <laughs> we'll but. see. I know, right? It's I know, right? We'll, yeah. Somebody we'll call see. HBO Max if I'm surprised they haven't snatched it up already. Yeah, Miles, I mean, your your love for each other, even though the book is from your perspective, but you can tell his love for you like right from the beginning and with his actions and, and his words. And I'm getting emotional right now talking about it because it really is just so beautiful, the, the way that you seem to like support and affirm each other in both living the authentic life you you want to live. It's such a divine moment in the story for me because like as a as a child who faced abandonment and knew that they weren't wanted for it's like so beautiful to, to hear that that part of the story that the person who would become my husband was like from the moment I saw you I right. knew that is like how he, and that's, that's how it happened. And that's how he yes. tells like the story of like, he's like, I saw you walk by and I said, I'm going to marry her. I'm like, what? Like, who has that confidence? You know? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the proposal. Oh my God. Yeah. There was a line in an interview from him. I read that was something like, like all legendary people, I persisted. <laughs> so good. Like all legendary people, yeah. <laughs> we, I mean, we always like joke to we always joke to ourselves and say that we're living in the legendary lane. You know, yes. that's like that's just a check mark on on the box as far like is it legendary? Uh, yes. And I think that is that's you know that's like one of the places that we relate. You know that he was a debonair to to my diva. Yes. You know, and it and it felt like such like a old fashioned courtship. You know, he was the 
Billy D. Williams to my Diana Ross and Mahogany, you know, uh, Dwayne and Whitley, you know, like we love all, all that stuff. You know, there was there was a, a time in our lives that we called ourselves the Trans Obamas. But then we're like, no, now we're the Freddie <laughs> Davises, you know. Like, yes. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think a lot of people in the LGBTQ I plus community, one of the biggest fears with living authentically and being true to who you are is that nobody's going to love you mm. yes. for it. And Absolutely. your story proves not only will people love you, but you'll find like the best kind of love. And like you can be that you know, that fairy, t- like not fairy tale, because it's like real, it's real. It's so real. And it's there. Yeah, I completely <laughs> agree with you. Because I mean, it's not how I saw, you know, the story ending, you know, like, I I actually thought that I would be a showgirl for the rest of my life, you know, that I would be performing on stages, you know, that I would be a queen for a cause, you know, and it's like, just so heartening. And I think even for me, I'm like, whoa, even as at the as I read the first draft, I was like, wow, oh, my gosh. And I was like, oh, this is me. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I'm like, I wrote I'm like, wow, I'm like, I wow, this this is this is my life. And I think that there's a lesson in that, because I think so often I think that we've been taught to be aspirational And I think that we've been taught that someone is going to come and save us. Like those are the stories that that have been passed down to us. And I had a moment and said, and said, and when I was writing that I'm the hero of my, of my own story, you know, there is no one person. I think there are people obviously who have influenced my story, but there is no one person who can claim and say, yes, I am precious. I am precious to success. No, it was the sheer grit, determination, pain, fearlessness that that made me who I am today. And and listen, there are I also tell people to like to lean into fear to make like bold choices. Yeah, talk but, about that more. People say that people say like, oh, I'm I'm gonna fail. I'm gonna like, yes, and you'll fail miserably, but you'll get back up. Tomorrow we'll create like a new opportunity. There are places in this book where I failed. You know, I talk about like failing several classes like in college because I wasn't there. You know, I was like, I was like a showgirl. Like that is where like I found my light, you know, and and at that time college, my head just like wasn't there. But then I retook those classes, you know, and then I like moved to Chicago like, I'm like, I need to be on, Deepa always needs a bigger stage, obviously. Right. <laughs> but I, that was like the boldest choice that a kid who was in foster care and had no safety net underneath them moves to like one of the, you know, the biggest cities like in, in the country, you know, and goes to a very expensive liberal arts college. Like that does, I mean, it happens, you know what I mean? But it doesn't happen you know, without there, there being some kind of consequence, you know, in there. And I was like, I will accept every consequence. I will be, I was dirt poor, you know, when I did it. But then 
I got to go back and work there and got to, to be the person who pointed out pitfalls within the institution where they weren't engaging diversity in the best manner. And so for me, it's like, it's like, so there was all of these crazy places that, that connected in my life, but I am fearless. And if I am not fearless, I feel like I'm not challenging myself. If I'm not like thinking big, I'm not happy. I'm not happy with myself. Stagnation is something that Precious Brady Davis does not do. (laughs) (laughs) Something about a Scorpio speaking in the third person. (laughs) I love (laughs) so much. (laughs) Are there ever moments now where you find yourself maybe a little bit afraid to be your 100% authentic self? Or are you just like... It's because more people are watching, maybe? Yeah. No. No, No, absolutely not. No, I like, no. Actually, like, one of the strangest things that I always like say to myself, like, there is a time in my life, like, you can see some of the pictures, you know, in, in the book, where I, like, wanted to be seen, where I, like, wanted... When I went to Columbia, that was definitely one of those times when I was like very genderqueer and like wore like bows like in my hair. Yes. Pranced around campus, you know, in heels, you know, and still was like genderqueer. And that's just the way I navigated, you know, and rode on the L train and drag, did all of that. There was a time where like I was, that was like the thing for me of like, that was the affirmation to be seen. But I wasn't, it was because I wasn't in the fullness of myself. Like I was still trying to find like the fullness of my identity. And it was like, see me, like, can you, can you, can you see me? Like, please see like all of this. But now like in the fullness, I'm like, don't see me, please don't see me, please. I don't want to be, you know, like if I'm in like public, I'm like, please don't let them like notice. <laughs> I'm like hiding. If I like see someone now, I'm like, no, I'm like, hiding in the corner (laughs) (laughs) like so you know like that is like I and I think that's because like I'm in full alignment like with myself like I'd rather like show up and be present and and for me also it's like it's so much work you know to do Mm. the the full for me in in this moment of my life you know it's crazy because I just um I went to this music festival they asked me to come and say a, say a couple words and, you know, about pride and our history. And I was like, cool. You know, I was like, I'm, I don't do music festivals anymore, but I'll come on stage and I'll say something like that will be fun. But one of my friends came in and performed and she was like, awesome. And she brought two backup dancers with her and I took them. We went to Luminati's for, for pizza afterwards. Yes. So good. <laughs> and one of her dancers was like 23 years old and he was wearing like a midriff crop top shirt. He was had, was wearing like blue camo pants, had like something tied, like a rope tied around it and was wearing pleaser boots. You know, it was like wearing like stripper boots. And I was like, Oh, that's me at 18. Like, (laughs) Whoa. Like it was like so good to see reminded me of, because now, you know, like, I am a a trans woman, you know, who is, you know, a a professional, you know, and a a type of professional, you know, my version of a a professional, you know, and am a wife and a a mom and 
to to see the way that he created that space, it was so beautiful to me and reminded me of like its revolutionary power, you know, to, to walk into this space that is like very white and and cis and to be authentic. Like that is like there's like power in that. And I think that's what it was doing for me in that in that moment and just touched my soul. Oh man. I love that. Being fully authentic. Is there anything in your, like you'd mentioned baths are a good like safe space freezer, any type of activity or anything that you do to like reconnect with your authentic self these days? Travel. I love traveling. I love, 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 love travel. It's just, just something, just the whole, I like exploring. I love going to new, to new places I haven't been before I love going to places where I don't know like anyone where I can just like be and just like exist. But travel is, is, is like holds such a, a special place in my heart, you know, because I feel like even within like a hotel room, like you can create like a, a new space of a space that isn't yeah, at home. It's like a ca- yeah. blank canvas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I just like, I just like really love that. And it's like so tender for for me. I, love but I think travel. Yeah. Do you have a message for any of our listeners who might be struggling both with not only accepting their identity, but figuring out what their identity is? We get a lot of questions from listeners who uh, are younger and they feel a lot of pressure to know who they are, what they are. Like lock in that identity. Yeah, it can be really stressful for them. I would say shine in the places that you can. Like I, I talk about in, in the book for me, what it was like growing up in, in the church, you know, and men telling me like, move your, your watch onto the other wrist or, you know, don't, don't be so, so feminine and dainty, you know, and taking me off of the worship team because, you know, I said like, oh, I think, you know, I'm still struggling with this. Like this isn't, that's what they call it. They call it struggling, you know, right, that, right. that it, that it wasn't going away, but I felt like I could find space with my drama club friends. It was its own world in itself where I felt totally affirmed to be me and literally gave me the strength to survive. You know, because at that time, my foster family, you know, like wasn't, you know, down, you know, like with the LGBTQ community, you know, and they thought, you know, that I was like, that I was like a straight, you know, this, you know, boy. And that was going to be like the destiny, like for my life. And so I would say shine in the places that you can be you, be you, be you, be you, celebrate you, celebrate you, do you, do you, do you, do you, be you. Celebrate the authenticity of yourself. Show up, show out. There is no competition. Yes. Yeah, um, there is no competition. I love that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say there there is no competition. Show up, show out. And I, yeah, I think for me, like in those spaces, uh, I do think that there is, and that's what I, I love, like the name of this this podcast, that it is, I mean, <laughs> the word dyke, like even like the word dyke, you know, like yes. even like within our, like our community, you know what I mean? When people say like the word fat, like, you know, words that like people have like taken from us. Like, I love putting the ferocity, like, back into queerness. And right. I think, like, there is this fierceness that the, the queer community that we possess 
And I would say like be fierce like that as talking, you know, I was just told the story of that young person, that dancer. And it reminded me of the fierceness of queering the space of showing what authenticity looks like. And I literally think that it shapes the space without you even, without you even knowing it. I often think that people who are living their truth, that they don't know the effect that that has on people because there are people, you know, who can't live their authentic selves, who refuse to, to live in their, their truth. And so I would say shine in the places that you can and, and be you and show up and show out. You know, my whole life, you know, I have showed up and showed out even in like the, the small in the smallest ways, you know, like you talked about like that moment for me in, in the Berenstein Bears. Yes. Like that moment for me of like throwing the football for years, I was like, I'm a star. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah. And also like find things that affirm you. For me, it was theater. It was music, you know, and it's now this, this book, you know, that has brought so much joy into my life and, I think that we live in, I'm glad that we have made so much progress, but I think that we still have so, so much more of the journey yes. that, that needs to, to occur, especially, you know, across the country, you know, we're seeing this like onslaught on, you know, on trans youth yeah. and then being able to right. play sport, you know, and all, and all of this, like the onslaught, like continues. So young people need to know that it's okay for them to be themselves and uh, other people as well. Yeah. Truly universal lessons in this book. I can't recommend it enough. Looking forward, what's next for you and your advocacy work? Wow. I think that, well, I'll say this. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King once said that the moral arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice. I think, you know, that uh, Melody here has always pointed out, has already pointed out here that, you know, that justice uh, (laughs) is at the core of, of my life. So I, I love the yes. work that I'm doing now, working at the Sierra Club, working on behalf of the environment, advocating for clean air, clean energy, and clean water, which is something that I did very specifically because I wanted folks to see that as a trans woman, that there is not just one kind of diversity work right. to do. I love that. Yeah. And I wanted to expand that narrative, you know, because so often like we need people who are working within like the LGBT community but we need people to go into other spaces. I think that we need to occupy all parts of society, you know, so that we can shape progress. But I, I mean, I, I think that I'd love to serve in, in public office if, you know, voters would, would, would have me. If, if that would. would be, yeah. thank you. <laughs> thank you. If that is like a place where I could create change, because for me, it's always about, is it a space where I can create change? I believe that I leave institutions better than I find them. And I, I think that I represent like a, a trans future. And so if it can do some public good and bend the arc of justice, I'll be there. And we will be here supporting you and cheerleading for you every step of the way. Yeah, um, looking forward to all of the spaces you queer. Yes. <laughs> 
wishing you so much success for you and your family and just have to say thank you so much, not just for diking out with us, but for, for everything you do, for writing this book, for being vulnerable and putting your story out there. It's so, so, so important and inspiring. And again, just can't thank you enough. Really? Thank you so much for your kind words. I've really enjoyed uh, our time together and I hope we get to talk again. Yes, Thank please. you so much to your listeners for listening. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Wow. We hope you all enjoyed that. Wow is right, Melody. You can buy the book at your local bookshop, support local bookshops. It's called I Have Always Been Me. You can follow Precious on Twitter at Ms. Precious Davis and on Instagram at Precious Brady Davis and truly recommend that you read this book and read this story. It is just such a, a beautiful, beautiful story and person. She is an icon. so fortunate. Yeah. She is a legend. iconic. She is the moment. Perfect. Shall we get into our listener question? Let's do it. Okay. Which we need more listener questions. So email us, dykingout at gmail.com. We are slowing down on them and then we're going to have to invent our own if we don't get more in the backlog. Yeah. Sometimes it's feast or famine with these. People want... We just got a request for a whole episode full of listener questions. So we we really got to replenish. We'd love to do that. Yeah. yeah. We just need more questions. Don't be shy. Okay. All right. Let's get into this. I just finished your Red Flags episode, which led me to a listener question. Love that. Red Flag. She doesn't have any date ideas, even when she's asking me out. She's, quote, down for whenever and whatever. Okay, just tag me. (laughs) This is about me. Um, This tells me that she's got no hobbies or interests of her own and wants me to entertain her. I'm polyamorous and just divorced, so short-term dating and playdates with long-term potential. It's frustrating to put in the emotional labor into figuring out what we're doing together. During the dates, she's this way about decision-making, too. Buy you a drink includes deciding what she's drinking, dot, dot, dot. Is this worth working through? Do I need to insist on more? Am I being a judgy asshole? Well, you're not being an asshole. I'm just a little triggered because I'm the indecisive one. (laughs) Am I boring? I mean, you have interests and hobbies. So maybe it is a lot to project and say that this person doesn't have interests or hobbies. Where my mind goes is to the classic rom-com Runaway Bride, where Julia Roberts' character doesn't know how she wants her eggs when she orders them and always just gets what the other person is having. And I think that's very much a type of person that they're a people pleaser. They feel that by saying what they actually want, sometimes they either don't know what they want or they just don't want to inconvenience anyone with their actual desire. So is this worth working through? It sounds like this person might have some things that they need to work on for themselves. But if it's just like a casual fun thing, I mean, how much emotional labor is it really for you to come up with the plan? I need more information here. Like, are you normally not a top? So it's annoying to you to have to do this? Or maybe this is a chance for you to be that person in the relationship that initiates and plans and stuff. Be but if you're in a place right top. now where 
<laughs> right. Be the social top. If <laughs> the social topping. <laughs> if you don't want that, then it sounds like you're just trying to, you know, not have anything serious right now. So move on. If this isn't something, you know, where you're at post-divorce. Divorce takes a lot of emotional labor. I can understand not wanting to do anymore. And if this isn't right. serving you, then get out. But from a yeah. perspective of someone <laughs> who can never decide, we're not all that bad. And um... <laughs> I know. I'm like, it's not the worst thing that this person does. I, I can see how it's annoying, though, if somebody's so indecisive and you're like, I need a reaction. And, and you want to get to know the person. That's part of the exchange of information and dating. It's like, I want to get to know what kind of person you are. So you need to tell me what kind of drinks you like or what you like to do or what sounds like fun to you or put it on them. It's fine if they say whenever and whatever, say, okay, but I've planned the last two dates and I would really love to see what you come up with. Take turns. So yeah, surprise me, regale me with yeah. plans. Make it a game because you are ultimately having fun. Yeah. Play dates, baby. I guess as somebody who knows what it's like to get out of a divorce and not want to put in <laughs> the effort into anything, you just got to listen to yourself. I don't know. What's your gut telling you? Yeah. Um, and advice to the people who can't make decisions, just try. Um, this is making me realize how annoying I am. I'm like racking. I don't even have to rack my brain. Just Going back on my last 48 hours of all the times, I was like, I don't know what I want to drink. Just get two of whatever you want. <laughs> like, didn't know what I wanted because I forgot how to drink going to bars. Uh, like, I, you I know, mean, I think it's OK to be like that sometimes. Like there is, a, you know, there's a difference, though, between being chill and like, hey, I'm down for whatever. I'm really flexible. Sometimes when people want to eat, I'm like, honestly, I could go for anything right now. And then if they seem indecisive, then I'll throw out some suggestions. But if you are someone that feels like all the time you never know what you want to do and you find that you're never the one who's making decisions and making plans, maybe reflect a little bit and be like, why am I doing this? And if it's because you're afraid that people won't want to do what you really want or won't be supportive of it, then that's something to break out of. Yeah. <laughs> Noted. Express yourself. Don't repress yourself, <laughs> as Madonna said. Yeah. Again, if you have a listener question, please send it in to dykingout at gmail.com. Put listener question in the subject line. That's the easiest way for us to uh, identify it and put it in our list. And if you're a patron, your question goes to the top of the pile. So let us know that. Do that. If you are one. Well, it's time to say goodbye. I don't want to go. Having so much fun on this episode. Wasn't this a good one, Carolyn? It was a good one. I was so happy to, uh, again, can't stop thinking or talking about. After the interview later that night, I went paddleboarding and I was just sitting there reflecting on the life of precious Me Brady too. Davis and talking to Cecilia about it and just pulling away life lessons and things of that nature. So yeah. Yes. Um, I um, pointed at the TV when we started watching Precious on TLC and kept going, that's my new friend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Obsessed. she's in Chicago, so we can make that yes. happen. Follow us on social media at Diking 
out. If you're not already, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, please. If you haven't, you don't even have to write anything. Just put five stars. Uh, but we do we love, love the reviews. Yes. Love feedback. The nice ones. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll even take not nice feedback if you give us five stars. I'm okay with that, yeah, too. Yeah, you can, like, email not nice feedback and kind of just leave the... <laughs> Yeah, leave the reviews nice. I don't know. (laughs) Make it nice. You can follow me at TGI Carolyn and see pictures from my wedding to Cecilia that I always post on our anniversary. Ooh, follow me at Melody Kamali where I will be posting an anniversary post. It is in our relationship contract that me, a social media adverse person um, post on birthdays and anniversaries. So get ready for that. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in this week and we'll see you next Tuesday. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.